Well, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Oh, that's not going to do. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Oh, that's better. That's better. Well, I am so glad to be here. Um, I am from New Jersey. I originally grew up in Canada, uh, and, and so I have a very strange accent. So today, you're going to have to bear with me. I apologize for that. So I'm a Canadian who lives in New Jersey. There's something about being places that people like to make fun of. Um, so I am just so glad to be here uh, today. Our, um, you know, at Liquid Church, it's just such a strange name for a church. People say, is that a cult or a dream? fraternity. Um, we say no. We call ourselves Liquid Church uh, because Jesus called himself the fountain of living water, and we think that church should be refreshing. We live in a spiritually dry part uh, of our country, and uh, we want to be refreshing, and so that's, you know, that's why we do what we do. Now, you know what they say? I need to move this over. They, they put it on the wrong piece of tape, so I'm just going to move it over here. Um, I think that's, oh no, it's on the right piece of tape. It said table. Sorry about that. Um, you know what they say, so I'm from the East Coast. You know what they say, all the smartest, coolest people move to the West Coast. So whether you are moved here when you were younger, whether your parents or your grandparents moved here, all, they literally just let all the smart and cool people move to the West Coast. I am from the Far East Coast, which tells you I am not the smartest, not the coolest person in the room this morning, uh, and I'm just honored that you would allow me uh, to be on the stage uh, with you. So at Liquid Church, we have three values. Our first value is grace wins. Uh, we really do think that the story of the Bible is the story uh, throughout, you know, the, the entire story tells one story of God pursuing humanity, a God going after his people and to draw them back with love and care. Literally, literally from the first page all the way to the end, it's that one story, and we try to proclaim that. The second, uh, so Grace wins, the second is truth is relevant. We don't think it's our job to make the Bible any more cool or hip than it is. Our job is to open up Scripture and allow people uh, to see what the Bible has to say and to apply it to their lives. We're pretty passionate uh, about that. And then the last uh, value is church's fun, which is a bit of a strange value. Uh, but the reason why our value is church's fun is because we think the gospel, when it gets into someone's lives, the good news, when Jesus transforms someone, we think that that generates joy in people's lives. And so when we gather together, hopefully we're having fun. Hopefully there's evidence of that joy. So that kind of gives you a little bit of a sense of, of who we are. Um, and as you can imagine, ministering in dirty Jersey requires that you have a sense of humor. Um, it is, all the rumors that you think about New Jersey are true. Um, you, years ago, I used to say, you know, the, if, if you've ever watched The Sopranos, those are the people that attend our church. Um, you know, Snooki, she's not on our worship team, but she does hand out bulletins. Um, <laughs> You know, that is, that's kind of who we serve. That's, and so I'm trying to be on my best behavior. There's a series of words and like hand gestures that I can use in New Jersey that are fine, that I can't use out here on the West Coast. So um, hopefully, uh, but as you can imagine, ministering on the, on, you know, in dirty Jersey, you have to have a sense of humor. And so this week I um, was driving around and noticed a number of those church signs, you know, that you see out in front of churches with those sayings. And so I took a picture of a few of them to share with you here. Let's take a look at the first one. Sunday sermon topic. Uh, what is hell? Arrive early to hear our choir. Um, or this one, uh, morning sermon. Jesus walks on water. Evening sermon. Searching for Jesus. Um, or the, or the finally, join our tithing campaign. Our pastor upped his pledge. Up yours. 
Um, that's the jersey coming out there. It's amazing God uses any of us, and that has nothing to do with what I'm talking about this morning. Um, today I want to talk about ministry momentum, this idea of, you know, kind of how does God use our churches? What are the phases that God kind of takes our churches through? And so what we're trying to do today is kind of dissect that a little bit and look at that and ask, what is our part of that? Today I want to speak to you as leaders. Whether you're a leader here at EV Free, uh, Full, or EV, EV Free Fullerton, that's a lot to say, um, or maybe in your work, or maybe at home, I believe that you are a leader. In fact, on this weekend, when we honor uh, folks who have gone before us and who have paid the ultimate sacrifice, uh, it's an appropriate weekend for us to think about leaders and to think about our role as leaders. And so that's really what I want you, that's the framework I want you to be in today, is thinking about your uh, leadership. There are two frameworks I want to use to help us understand what momentum looks like in a local church. They're really kind of um, mental pictures or images to kind of get your, your head into. And the first one is this, a merry-go-round. Who remembers this when they were a kid? Um, does anyone, anyone ever remember one of those things? We had, they don't have these anymore in parks because we like to bubble wrap our children. But what you did here when you were a kid, if you wanted to spin around on this thing, you would get on the side and you would push really hard. You would like push with your one leg and it would take, take forever to get it to go around once. And then you would push with your leg and then it would take forever to get around the second time, a little bit less. And then the third time, a little bit less, a little bit less. And you know, if you've ever ridden one of these things, what happens? You push and push and push and then eventually you just hold on for dear life. Um, you go from pushing hard to hardly pushing. There's this weird line somewhere where you cross over between those two. And leading in a local church has a similar feel. Many of you people who have been leading here at EV Free Fullerton for so long have been pushing from the early days to make this church work. God has used you to do incredible things, and you invested a lot of time, you invested a lot of effort, a lot of energy, a lot of money to see God do something incredible here, and you pushed and pushed and pushed and then eventually, you were hardly pushing anymore, and, and something took over. This momentum took over, and that's a beautiful thing uh, to be a part of. Another word picture is one of these, these paper clips. Um, these, uh, my daughter, and I have two kids, so I'm married with two wonderful kids, a 15-year-old and a 13-year-old. My daughter and my son are incredible. My wife apologizes, she couldn't be here today. Um, but my daughter is a freshman in high school, which I'm not sure how such a young man as myself can have a daughter in high school, uh, but I do. And I was reflecting this past fall on her going into high school, and I was thinking about, as naturally happens, you know, well, what was it like when I went into high school? And, and I remembered at the youth group, we played this game called Bigger and Better. Uh, when I was a freshman in high school. And what you did is you took one of those paper clips and we would divide up all the kids in the youth group and they would say, okay, here, take this paper clip and give one to each group and then this is what you were supposed to do. Take the paper clip, go to people in the neighborhood and say, hi, I'm from EV 
Free Fullerton. Uh, we love this neighborhood. We love you so much that we're coming today with this paperclip. And I'm wondering, could you trade this paperclip for something bigger or better in your house? And then you would take that bigger or better thing and then you'd go to another house and say, hi, we're from EV Free Fullerton and I would like to trade this for something bigger or better. And, you know, so side note, this is a great way to annoy all the neighbors in our neighborhood, right? This was like a terrible idea for how to like be good neighbors, but we did it. And so we, we would trade, so literally it was like the, you've got the paper clip, then someone gave us a pencil, then from a pencil to a pad of paper, and then from a pad of paper to a lamp. And there was one group that first year that brought back a disgusting, dirty, flea-bitten couch. They had traded a paper clip all the way up for a couch. Incredible. Actually, that, that couch was still there when I left high school in my senior year, if you can believe that. It probably is still there. You may have that couch at your church here. Um, you know, and, and so, now how does that apply to church leadership? I think it's similar in that a part of what we do as leaders, as you've invested over the year, is you've tried different things. Although the goal is the same. In this case, it was to get bigger and better. To, you know, in our case, it's to reach more people. It's to reach people and then disciple them up in, in Christ. But you try different things over the years. And, and in some, some ways, you, know, you, you try something and then you do get something bigger or better. In other places, you try it and just the door closes and you're frustrated and you move on. Um, as church leaders, we find ourselves in those uh, situations consistently. Ministry momentum is something like that game. You work in a similar direction, tweaking your approach um, to get, but you, and, but you sometimes get inconsistent results. Sometimes, you know, you give like a little bit and then you've got like this huge couch. Sometimes, you know, you do something and you don't get much in return. Leadership is the same. We need to apply ourselves in the similar direction uh, over an, at- an extended period of time, tweak our approach to see uh, what God is doing and anticipate, you know, him reaching out and making a difference. Momentum is critical. It's critical to shape. It's critical to understand and critical to direct. But what happens in a church when it begins to experience something that's the opposite of momentum? It's called entropy. Entropy is a a natural process. It happens to all things. It's when things naturally break down and begin to die. You know this about your car. The day you drive it off the lot, if you ever buy a new car, wow, that's a nice car. The next day, not as nice. Over the next 10 years, which is about when I then buy the car off you, it's nowhere near as nice as it was 10 years ago. I drive it for another 10 years, and I can tell you, it is nowhere near like that first car when you drove it off. And that happens. Our bodies do the same thing. Um, you know, my body is breaking down as, you know, we get older. I'm just not as fast. I'm not as good as I used to be at shooting hoops. That's just the reality of it. In a world corrupted by sin and the fall, uh, things eventually wear out. Uh, and lose momentum over time. The same is true in our churches. That's just is true. All ministries naturally experience entropy. Uh, they plateau and they decline over time. The question is, how do we overcome entropy? How do we overcome that in our ministry or in another area of influence in your life? And that's what we're going to talk about today. I really like to think about the future of the church. I really do believe that God's called us to this incredible time in our history to reach people for the gospel of Jesus. And this church has such a a rich history of doing that and is continuing to do that today. Um, And I just am am honored uh, that we get to get a chance to do that. Did you know, though, that 94% of all churches are uh, losing ground against the growth of the communities that they're in? 
So 94% of the churches in our country aren't growing as quickly as the communities that they serve, which means that 94% of the churches are losing influence, are losing an ability to make an impact on on their uh, community. That's a sobering, sobering statistic. Um, If we don't think critically as leaders about how to reverse entropy and increase momentum, we aren't going to reverse that trend. Well, how could we see where this is headed? I'm wondering if there's a way that we could kind of look into the future. If that 94% continues, is there a way for us to kind of peer into the future and understand what it might look like? Well, there is. We can simply look to the past. We could look to somewhere that was an epicenter of incredible movement of God and incredible churches that made a huge impact on their culture, but then today don't. This is a picture of the biggest church uh, in Florence, Italy, the Duomo. Um, It's a picture of the front of the church. It's a pretty big church. It's the fourth largest church in the world. Um, This is the nave. This is the the foyer of the building. Um, And it's the equivalent of four football fields in both directions. Um, Back in the 14th century, it was the hub of the spiritual life for Christians, literally from all over the world, would come to the Duomo. People were baptized here. Uh, by, the, uh, by the thousands in Jesus' name. It was an incredible epicenter. I had a friend of mine who was there last spring, and he told me this great story. Uh, he asked the, the tour guide, he said, how many people worship here on a Sunday? And the tour guide said, well, in its peak, in the 1400s, 20,000 people would pack into this church or for a single service on a Sunday morning. 20,000 people, that's incredible. So a friend continued to ask him, well, how many people are there today? 20,000, that, that's pretty amazing. And the tour guide said, well, about 12. And my friend said, 12,000, that's amazing. And no, 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 12 people uh, come on a, on a Sunday for this, uh, to this church. Mostly uh, seniors, uh, folks in their 70s, 80s, and above. In other words, a church that is no longer an active ministry, it literally had become a museum. Only 12 people on a, on a Sunday. And sure enough, the church continues to pay its bills. Uh, they raise money uh, at, for the building by, you know, charging admission, come in and look at the tapestries, that sort of thing. Uh, they have a gift shop selling postcards and momentums about the church's uh, glory days from years ago. And that's what's interesting to me, that in the span of really a short time, just a few hundred years, a church that was a nerve center of an incredible movement had turned into a museum. Europe is full of all kinds of these empty churches, once a center for vibrant gospel ministry for thousands. And now uh, the the pews are empty, barely filled, a movement, uh, a monument to a world that simply does no longer exist. This is true in my part of the world where we serve in New Jersey. Uh, New Jersey is filled, New England, that northeast is filled with churches that are sitting empty today. Once an epicenter, don't know if you know this, but actually every uh, revival in American history started in New Jersey. Um, but today, that's far from the case. It's a you know, spiritually dry part of the country. The reality is, I think that there is a parable, parallel to the spiritual entropy that our generation is facing today all across this country, whether it's in my part of the world in the Northeast uh, or here around EV Free Fullerton. See, most churches, even young ones like Liquid Church, we're only nine years old, go through three stages uh, of growth over the years. So today we're going to talk about those three. I want us to kind of drill into those and think about what our part of the equation is uh, as we think about uh, the future. The first is the church begins, all churches really, begin 
as an incredible movement. They begin as an incredible movement. And the kind of, they're described with this kind of incredible energy. There's like an explosion of gospel energy. It's like, boom, it takes off. Incredible things begin. People are taking steps towards Christ. Lives are being changed. Young families are getting connected. There's a, a, lots of incredible stories. Um, there's incredible risks being taken at the early days. In fact, that's actually how leaders can describe themselves or do describe themselves in early stages of churches that are making a difference. And I am terrible at writing. Um, they are risk takers. That's the role of a church leader in these early days is to be a risk taker. Leaders ask the question, what if? What if we tried this? In the early days of liquid, uh, we said we'd do anything short of sin to reach people who are far uh, from Christ. So we took all kinds of risks. Our, first, our, our church first met in a tavern, in a bar. Uh, no beer, just Bible. Um, that's still why people th- you know, think we call our name liquid. Um, and uh, over the years, we've taken all kinds of risks with where we've met. We've met in bars. We've met in um, basements and movie theaters and middle schools and high schools. It doesn't matter because the church isn't about a building. It's about building people up. Amen? You know that. Um, this church is great at that. The only constant for us in those days was change. And we've seen God do some pretty amazing things. This last Easter, um, it was our ninth birthday. We're a young church. Um, we had, you know, 6,000 people on that came on that day. But more importantly than that, we had 657 people make first-time commitments to follow Christ on that day. Incredible, incredible birth um, and, and energy, um, you know, to, to be a part of. We've had the privilege of baptizing over 1,500, approaching 1,600 people um, in the last nine years. And, and a thousand, the thousands person, I love this story, is a dad and his two sons. Just incredible stories of life change. See, that's the thing about being a part of a movement uh, that's exciting to be a part of. Uh, there are new converts, new people deciding to follow Jesus, new baptism, and life change is just spewing out all over the place. Movements often result in, in explosive go- growth. That's how the early church began. You know, Peter preached uh, that message on, on Pentecost. We see this in the book of Acts. And it was, you know, it was very simple. It was, Jesus died on the cross for your sins. You killed him. Now say you're sorry and get baptized. It was straightforward. Boom, incredible growth took place. We see this in Acts 2, verse 41. Uh, it describes it this way. That day it says, those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 people were added to their number that day. Talk about a fall rally day. Talk about a kickoff. Um, talk about you know, just an amazing one-day movement in the life of that church. Boom, incredible growth, incredible impact. And that's what happened when the Holy Spirit empowers any church. A ministry uh, really becomes a movement. It has a sense of destiny and purpose to it. It's cool to see uh, that here. That's definitely a part of what God's done here and is doing here at EV Free Fullerton in your church. Amen? But over time, given human weakness, and leaders get old, they lose their hair, um, things break down, tradition sets in, and the movement starts to level off a little bit. Uh, and it begins to transition towards a museum. A museum. Um, instead of forging the future, the focus shifts to preserving the past. 
instead of forging the future, we worry more about preserving the past. We think about the building. We think about how we're going to maintain what it is that God did in the past. Look at, like that church uh, in Italy, reliving the glory days, uh, remembering the t- that time back in the 1400s when 20,000 people arrived, um, remembering back in the 80s when, man, VBS was just killing it, um, or remembering when, you know, we had tons of families show up and, and Sunday school was packed, and, and well, that was 30 years ago, that was 300 years ago. What, what happened? I, I don't know. All the kids grew up and moved away. The neighborhood seemed to shift around us, and, you know, families, they just moved away. They, they weren't interested anymore. The focus went from reaching, reaching new people, to keeping. It went from how do we impact people's lives to how do we keep the people uh, that are currently with us. Your, your job can become taking care of a facility and the faithful few uh, who still attend, making sure things don't stay, making sure things stay the same and don't change, making sure they, they keep as they were in the good old days. And in your role as leaders in this church, in your community, you're no longer a risk taker, you become a caretaker. In fact, that's the sad part of that church, the Duomo. The actual, the leader of that today, the title is lead caretaker. That's actually the person who takes care of that ministry. Rather than a spiritual leader asking the question, how are we going to impact our community? It's a group of people asking, how do we ensure that the tapestries stay on the wall and that people don't touch the stained glass? It doesn't matter your denomination. It doesn't matter your background. All that changes is hard in the museum church. Um, I know, I grew up there. I grew up in a church of 200 people, same 200 people every Sunday. We all sat in the same seats. You don't dare sit in Aunt Mabel's seat. Don't take her chair. Uh, that, you know, that's a problem if you do that. Um, you know, we, we kind of always stayed at 200. Someone would die, and then there would be a baby. It would kind of just always seem to magically work out somewhere around that. Um, you know, we sang the same hymns every Sunday. Always the first, third, and fifth verse. You've been to this church. I am not sure what's wrong to this day with the second and fourth verse. But that's what happened every Sunday. Uh, We spent a lot of time on petty arguments. What color is the carpet going to be? True story. Should we paint the youth room tan or black? We don't want to paint it black because black is the color of the devil. We can't do that. Uh, We were so inward focused and we got caught in these ridiculous debates when literally hundreds of thousands of people every day drove by the front doors of our church. Instead of building people up, ministry became about the building or can become about the building. That fellowship hall we built in 1981, we once allowed the youth group to play drums in there and they broke a ceiling tile, so never again. Churches often get what's called an edifice complex. It's, uh, you know, the upkeep of the building often outweighs uh, the cost of you know, resources towards other ministry. Europe is filled with these historic churches. My part of the country is filled with these historic churches. Massive sanctuaries, once filled, now half empty, selling off assets just to stay alive. It's a picture of where the church is going in our country in general, unless we overcome entropy. Jesus warned of church leaders um, against this kind of subtle shift. In Mark 7, verse 8, he said, Jesus replied, "Uh, you have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. 
You know your church is chained to, to tradition when ministry is done by memory. There's little innovation or fresh thinking. New ideas and technology are suspicious, super suspicious. A preacher on a video screen, that'll never work. Slides in the sanctuary, that's a terrible idea. Now listen, I want to be careful here because I know if you're, if you're a church leader, the shift between being a movement, seeing your church being a movement, to being a museum is super subtle. You don't wake up one day and all of a sudden it's here. In fact, at our church, at nine years of age, I can see the shift beginning to take place. I can feel it in our decision-making as we make safer and safer decisions. It's natural. It's normal. It's a part of, of what happens when we leave. And a, a ministry can get stuck in the museum mode for decades, running on the glory of past successes, talking about what happened the, those many years ago, living off the, the disciples that were discipled 20, 30 years ago, and not, you know, building people up, up today. But deep within, the focus has shifted. It's, it's no longer about reaching new people for the kingdom. It's no longer about um, seeing people take steps closer to Jesus. Uh, you're preaching to the choir. You're stuck uh, and you may not even know it. You're not necessarily dying, but it could be plateau. And the only growth is transfer growth. It's called sheep shifting. Now, the third phase, this is the scariest phase of them all. If, if a church starts as a movement and slides into becoming a museum and nothing changes, it continues to, entropy continues to take hold until the point that it becomes a mausoleum mausoleum. Got to make sure I spell it right. A mausoleum. Now, you know, you know what a mausoleum is. A mausoleum is a place of death and decay. In Rome, remember I was talking about that church earlier, um, the Duomo. Um, upstairs is, you know, really beautiful, but downstairs is one of the creepiest churches I've ever seen. In fact, in the basement, you'll see this. There's a crypt of bodies and bones of over 3,000 priests. These are the monks who led the church in previous decades, who the people of the church thought were so great that as their bodies decayed after they died, they literally took them downstairs and said, we want to preserve them with us. And so there's 3,000 of these priests who have had an impact on their culture, um, who the, the church desperately wanted to preserve them, and so set up this mausoleum. Um, Tales of the Crip. Take a look at that picture again. Does that resemble anyone you know? Talk about a creepy fellowship hall. Like, that is... That's crazy. Has anybody ever seen The Walking Dead? You know, it's like, I see dead people. That's supposed to be a dead person. I'm not a good drawer, I know. Earlier, the wonderful people here in service programming, they were like, oh, I can see that the drawing is not really a big deal. I'm like, well, yeah, clearly I can't draw that well. But what, this, is, this is what happens in the church. As it continues to shift, it becomes a mausoleum if we don't uh, turn things around. This, uh, this is, this, in this church, has lost all its heart and has, is about to become obsolete. It has a rich history but no future. Its ministries are old and aging and ha are having no uh, momentum. Uh, there's no young families. The role of the pastor in this organization, the role of the leaders in this organization 
if you, if you continue to slide in this direction, is you become undertakers. Simply stewarding the death of a ministry. Stewarding its final days. And honestly, my heart goes out to churches like this. I have friends of mine who, who lead these churches. And just this week, actually, I was talking to a friend of mine who pastors one of these churches. And, you know, they're down. They have a handful of kids in the Sunday school. Um, they're, they're down. You know, their, their building is run down. Um, there's no momentum. Uh, and he desperately wants to reach new people. But entropy has set in and is in its finest hour. Or it's in its darkest hour as a church. This is the hardest kind of ministry to lead in. Because you're not pioneering the future you're presiding over a funeral. If you're honest, you know, today, if we're all honest, I think leaders, and I'm sure, you know, I like to think this, we all like to think we're in movements. We all like to think of our ministries as being amazing and having a huge impact. But over time, we can find ourselves in a museum or a mausoleum and not even realize it and live on the memories of ministry from the past and not really reflect what's actually happening in our ministries today. But there's hope for us, regardless of where we're at on this spectrum today. There's hope for our ministries, regardless for where we're at on, you know, on this spectrum today. Because the gospel of Jesus proclaims there is always hope for a resurrection. Amen? The gospel at its core is a story of resurrection, of life, of voluntary death and resurrection to new life, a fresh season of spirit-empowered ministry. But if you're here, if you're on the movement end, praise God. If you're down here on the museum end, God has a word for you today. This is an encouragement I want to give you, that God um, wants to do something called a rebirth within areas of your life. Today we're talking specifically about churches, but it could be other parts of your life where he wants to turn things around, where God's spirit does something miraculous and reignites fresh season of ministry, of gospel ministry. And that's exactly what we've experienced at our church at one of our campuses in Mountainside, New Jersey. See, recently, Liquid was approached by a church of 191 years old that had a historic gospel ministry. In fact, at one point, the story was told that the, the bell in the, in the tower of this church could be heard all the way to New York City, and people would gather here, and it was a place that had huge impact. Um, but over the years, it had began to decline. It really peaked in, or plateaued in the late 70s, and then declined in the 80s and 90s until the point where they called us. Um, they were about to close their doors. But that's when a miracle happened. We call it the miracle at Mountainside. And I want to show you this three-minute teaser that kind of gives you a sense of the story that points, that's a part of a larger kind of 15-minute documentary that tells the story about what God did there. And I want you to capture the heart of what the leaders in this ministry uh, did. I want to give you a taste of what rebirth could look like. I've been the pastor at Mountainside Chapel for about 21 years, up until this last year. We started the declining in numbers. We sensed that um, we would have to make some decisions, and so that's why we started uh, looking around for uh, the best decision to make. There may be congregations who feel like they're at the end of the rope and, and it's the end of the line, but God is doing something new out there, and your church could be part of it. The best days might have been uh, at the very beginning when it started uh, over 190 years ago. It's probably never grown more than a couple of hundred to 300 people. 
Probably the decline began in the uh, 70s, the late 70s, and that just continued. It was not uh, possible for me anyway to uh, effect a turnaround. Uh, we would have to make some decisions. My daughter, one day in talking, she says, oh, you know, Dad, Liquid is looking to open up a campus in a Union County. Liquid is a different kind of church. I think when people hear the name Liquid Church, they assume we're a cult or a drinking fraternity. But we named our church Liquid for a simple reason. Jesus calls himself the living water, and we believe church should be refreshing. Very often uh, throughout history, there has been the necessity for something to come to an end in order for something better to come out of it. The death and the, the rebirth of an organization. Uh, churches go through that. And if there is wisdom and prayer applied to the process, it can be a very sweet thing. And I believe that's what's happened here. We saw the rebirth as an opportunity to combine the rich history of the chapel with the fresh ministry momentum of liquid, the best of the old and the new. It wasn't erasing the identity or the history of Mountainside. Rather, it meant resurrecting the dream of the original founders and injecting that community with fresh hope and a vision for the future. What got me uh, was our first Sunday here when we opened up and I'm sitting there looking in front of me and to my right and my left and there's all these people. This is what we wanted. We wanted the pews filled. People just kept pouring out of the doors and tears are coming down our faces thinking, this is exactly what we wanted. We call it our miracle at Mountainside. From start to finish, it was a total God thing to see the generations working together to reach new families for Christ. Our goal was not uh, simply to hand something over to the next generation. It was rather to join the next generation. And I feel like many of us have done that and uh, are willing to move forward. You know, I like to think a lot about the next generation and how we're going to reach the next generation, but i got to be honest, the seniors, the folks that were involved at Mountainside Gospel Chapel are my heroes. Uh, folks that at a moment when they had, were stuck in the mausoleum made a decision to take in a huge risk and ask the question, does God want to do something new in our church? Does God want to continue to infuse gospel energy into this ministry? Does he want to do that? And they were willing uh, to take that risk. Um, I love this passage in John 12, 24, uh, where uh, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel go of wheat goes into the ground and dies, it remains a single seed, but its death will reproduce many new kernels, an entire harvest of new lives. See, people, there is something about death and resurrection that is baked into what God wants to do in this world. And in our lives as leaders, we have to die to something. We have to take risk to see what God wants to do in our, in our lives, in our community. This church has a rich history of doing that. You've done incredible things over the years to take risk to make an impact in your part uh, of the world. Last year, Liquid Mountainside became our fastest growing campus from 29 seniors. There'll be over 1,000 people there today uh, worshiping on a Sunday morning. We've baptized hundreds of people to the point where we're trying to figure out how we pack everybody in uh, to that space. Have hope. Resurrection is possible. Let me speak directly to the leaders in this room. Your number one responsibility as a church or ministry leader or, you know, whatever your area of influence is to discern when your movement 
begins to leak momentum and becomes a museum, leveling off into a museum. And to overcome that entropy by taking risk to rejoin a movement that that God has called you uh, to be. Because I believe that God still wants to make huge impact in this part of the world. I know God still wants to use this church to do amazing things, to focus on the reach and not just on the keep. It's hard work. It, it requires risk. Uh, I've seen it happen at our church, and I know that it will continue to happen here at Every Free Fullerton. It's 100% possible to see a church that was once stuck, then plateau and declining, to, and almost dead, to literally come back to life, to see a resurrection. You know, they say, uh, you know, the Northeast is a graveyard of churches. It's, it's literally scattered with dead churches all over the place. Well, for us, we always say, well, there's no better place for a resurrection than a graveyard. That's what God's calling us to. What's God calling you to? What's God calling you in your ministry, in your area of influence, to die to, to see new momentum, to see fresh gospel work take place? Isaiah 43, 18 uh, and 19 says, Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? Can you see it? Are you ready to imagine a new future for your church? See, this is the encouragement for you today, leaders, to think about what is it that God has called you to do as an individual? What risk is God calling you to do to take a step out, to die to, to see that be rebirthed uh, in something incredible? What kind of leader is God calling you to in this next season of ministry? Is he calling you to be a risk taker, to be a caretaker, or be an undertaker? My prayer is, that God will call you to be a risk taker for the gospel. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for this incredible ministry. I thank you for the way that you've uh, used this church for so many years to make such an impact. Um, Lord, I pray that uh, these folks today, that they'll chew up the meat and spit out the bones of what I said. Lord, that they'll hear you more clearly, uh, that they'll hear what you want to do in their lives. Lord, I pray that you would continue to use this church to reach people in this community. Uh, Lord, we know that there's thousands of people that this morning uh, voted with their feet to not go to any church. Lord, we pray that this church would be the kind of place where people can come, regardless of their background, and get connected with the incredible message that you love them, and that you want to see them take steps closer to you and to radically change them from the inside out. Uh, Lord, use us Give us wisdom. In your name we pray. Amen.